0: Welcome to Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis, five locations, stlmasses.com. They are the title sponsor, and we'll talk about them in a little bit. And I'm excited, as always, to talk to a former Cardinal, one of my all-time favorites. I say it every time. And again, I meet, and it's Woody Williams on the phone. Hello, Woody. How are you? I'm good. You sound as excited as me to do this. Well,
1: it's a great introduction, (laughs) you know. but then you said I say it all the time. So I guess we're all your favorites.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Klein. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. No. No, I, only, I always say this. I only have people that I uh, kind of know a little bit and remember and had good conversations with back in the day, and you were one of those guys. I remember we did a feature one time that you you were like the, the main star of the feature because I did a whole feature on um, how there's too many stats. And this was like 2003, and you had like 15 stats that you hated. You're like, wait, you know, sometimes I'll pitch seven innings in a game, and then, you know – we'll score 10 runs, and then the run support shows that I had 10 runs in that game as run support. And I'm like, that's yeah, that's pretty interesting that uh, what he's looking at that.
1: Right. That was always uh, the thing that I, I paid attention to that one stat, because it didn't always tell when the losses, you know. Now, for starting pitchers, they're not as important as they once were in the innings pitch, and stuff like that, because baseball's evolved to, You know, to, to a science more than... Uh, just actually going out there and playing
0: the game. So I'll, I guess people will wonder where you are now. You're uh, you're in Texas, five children, I believe. And uh, just tell us uh, what, what our old favorite Woody Williams is up to these days.
1: Well, I'm on
0: my way to my volunteering
1: uh, job. at at just junior college. My third year of volunteering there as a baseball coach, helping out with the pitchers. Uh, still live in Houston, and... Kids are starting to grow up. I got three graduated college, one that's in college, and one that's in high school. So, uh, very blessed and love being able to spend time with,
0: with them. That's awesome. Uh, man, five kids, it seems like a lot of work. I bet you're teaching them hitting too, probably, right? You're the one of the best hitting pitchers of all time. Put
1: it on the side a little bit. I don't want to step <laughs> on any toes. <laughs>
0: So I'm going to kind of start with your Cardinal career and just kind of work around, uh, and I think the the, the best, uh, I mean, you had so many great memories, but I just will never forget the day they make the trade for you, for Ray Lankford, and it was, uh, you know, Ray was a, a beloved Cardinal for years, and uh, and we're, we're like, oh, okay, we're going to get a you know this guy from the Padres don't know a lot about him he's been kind of kicking around and then you come over here and you go seven and one and uh literally dominate through 2001 and I would I would say that you helped him get into the playoffs that year just tell me a little bit about what changed and the kind of the difference for you when uh making you were traded before from uh, Toronto to San Diego so this is your second trade but uh it definitely seemed like it was a, a bigger change in your career it
1: definitely was um after the, the 98 season in San Diego, when they went to the World Series and got beat by the Yankees, they kind of did a fire sale and they had a lot of guys that were three, becoming free agents. So uh, they went into a rebuild at that time. So uh, the time I was there, which is a little bit less than three years, I believe we had six shortstops. And so there's one of the main stability defensive positions, and it was a revolving door. And when I got to the Cardinals, I mean, we had superstars on both sides of the ball where my job was just to keep the ball in the ballpark. Uh, Dave Duncan did a fabulous job of, of teaching me and guiding me through preparation and knowing my opponents, when, what I should do, when I should do it. And it was all about execution. Well, execution was my strong point. It always was but but, uh, knowing when to do it and why to do it uh, was something I was lacking. And then just putting the Cardinal jersey on for the first time, it it did something to me. I I can't explain it, and I, I still remember what it felt like that first day. And, you know, basically my career took off, and I had some fabulous times in my years there.
0: They should have you. Uh, they should have you in the advertisements. That's that's a pretty good soundbite right there. When I put that jersey on, something happens. But it did. really. Yeah.
1: Where it's it? It like I said. It was incredible. I was surrounded by superstars. You know. Now I, I was just a little a little piece to a big puzzle, and you know, had quality human beings on that team as well. And like I said, my job. Which I had struggled with at that point was just keeping the ball in the ballpark, and I finally understood that my guys were going to catch the ball, and they did. it.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny. I, I've had this conversation with Supon many times, and I finally stopped having it because it's. I always bring it back, like, man, you were, you know, kind of lavishing, but you know, five hundred pitcher, but good. We remember you pitching against us, and then you come to St. Louis. He goes, Brad, did you did you see that there was Scott Rowland, Edgar Renteria, <laughs> Mike Matheny, Jim Edmonds. Probably three Hall of Fame guys, possibly, uh, that <laughs> on defense. Uh, so, you know, he says the same thing. It's like, you know, if I just make my pitches, and he even said, too, he's like, I knew I was a number three, but God, all I got to do is let these guys hit it to those guys, make sure it's hit in the ballpark, and I'm going to win. And I think that's interesting, that, especially at your ages at that point, too, just realizing, hey, I'm almost 30, and that's going to work here.
1: Right. You know, I don't know. How it was for, for Jeff, but for me, I felt like if I gave up two runs my time in San Diego, most of those times I was going to lose. So then you, you put expectations or uh, pressure on yourself that's unwarranted, that there's no way that you could achieve what you had in your mind that you had to you do. Know, and then all of a sudden, you know, things got out of hand real quick. And in San Diego, we had a, a, a team that could compete with anybody for six or seven innings. It may not be the first six or seven. It could be the last six or seven. Uh, but after that, we, we really couldn't hold water, you know, at the time I was there. And sometimes in, in June, you're already 15, 17 games out of first place. So it wasn't uh, – it was very difficult. And then, like I said, when I got to St. Louis, I had no no idea that the St. Louis Cardinals would that make a deal, you know, until I put the uniform on. Got in the culture, got inside that stadium, and then all of a sudden, anybody you talk to
0: all over the country is a Cardinal fan. I didn't know. I had no idea. It's a cult. It is. Well, I I grew up around it, and I hate, I mean, it sounds so stupid to say, but it's, and I'm not kidding about it, it's a religion. I mean, opening day is get your red stuff on, we're taking the day off, we're going to be around the ballpark all day, and you know, there's, it's just, it's special, and it's, if you grow, it's just the, the fact that it's 130 years old, or whatever it is, and your dad, and your grand, all the things I think about, my grandfather sit, you know, at games, and him singing the national anthem, now I hum the national anthem, because my grandfather used to belt it out, and I would be so embarrassed, my dad, my mom, all these things, it's, it really just revolves around your life, and I think about all the people that I've gone to games with, and so, I don't know, you know, religion, if it's too big of a word, but that's what I say. I don't, I don't get mad. I don't get, if anybody gets offended, I don't, I don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> well, you, you have people that, oh, man, I remember going to the lake or to the river, to the beach, you know, or going skiing, you know, and, and those are the memories they have. And then you talk to someone around St. Louis, and they say exactly what you just said. I remember a kid, and it was July, and I went with my grandpa, those are the memories they have growing up around St. Louis area. It is going to the ballpark and a certain game. Bob Gibson did something special, or the next guy, or the next guy. But they remember specific things. It's just absolutely incredible.
0: Well, I always, I, if uh, Gary Bennett's a pretty good friend, and I always, I don't, I don't even make fun of this. Sorry I, about that. No, yeah, yeah he's, no, but he's, a good, he's such <laughs> a he's such a good dude, and I tell him, and I don't, and I don't mean this begrudgingly. I say, Gary. You know, it is so sp- – that what you did back-to-back nights in 2006, he had two walk-offs against the Cubs, and one of them was a grand slam. And I said, you're forever linked. I mean, you're Cesar Cedeno. You're Dan Dreesen. You are literally in that pantheon of names of guys. It's just – people will always remember it, and I, I hope you understand. It's not It's not a joke. It's – your name – you were a huge part of 2006 because for two weeks, Yachty was hurt, and you came in, and, and then now you're – I mean, you go to fantasy camp, and, and – you you belong, you know, and I, so I always say that to him, and I think he thinks I'm still screwing with him, but I, I'm serious about it, um, but I did want to ask you, you were talking about, because with Soup also, I talked about I think those questions always start about with Dave Duncan. What has Dave Duncan done? He goes, well, let me talk about the defense first. And let me, I'll tell you about Dave Duncan second. So we talked about the defense. Tell me how important a pitching coach is at the major league level. And the reason I ask is because I think people will say, oh man, Woody Williams, Dave Duncan guy, Jeff Supon. He had this reputation, even back with Oakland, Uh, Dave Stewart, Storm Davis, Mike Moore, they all come to Oakland and how important is a pitching coach? And the reason I ask now is because uh, you are one, not at the major league level. But they've changed pitching coaches. They wanted a new voice. Um, they've got a, a lot of young guys coming. So how important is a pitching coach? And maybe how important was Dave Duncan as a pitching coach? Two-part, three-part question? I don't know. But go ahead. <laughs>
1: well, one of the parts. You know, the, the job is, is to manage personalities you know, learn the personalities because what makes me tick doesn't make the next guy tick. First of all, you learn you learn your personnel, and then know when to push them, how to push them. But it's also just the sound being a sounding board. You know, they want to tell you things, get things off their chest, and they, they may not be able to, to say some to somebody else. So there's a tough stop there in there. But you know, with Dave, there was those things plus. Like you said, he was the ultimate preparer, in my opinion. He had a he had a binder for every team. He had twenty to thirty pitches that were charted, that were drawn out, that were in the left margin count pitches location to T. and know, were they down and away, were they up and away? Were they middle? And what was happening on those pitches? For instance, there were guys where he came to me and said, well, how do you pitch this guy? And I told him, said, no, 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 no. He will not swing at a curveball until he has two strikes. Well, what what do I have uh, uh, that I'm capable of doing? I'm capable of flipping two curveballs in there for two strikes. Well, the guy starts 0-2 and his at bat against me. So it's things like that that I was unaware of that he knew the insight because he had it all well
0: so he was that important, right? I mean, it's not he had great defenses everywhere he went. He, I, I just think the funny part about him, I asked him if he would, for a feature for Fox, show us inside the binder. He said, oh, no. And then the other funny thing I remember was if you watch the 2006 or 2011 World Series, but especially 2006, he, uh, he wasn't at the 2011, actually. But 2006, uh, Wainwright throws the final pitch. Strike out. They go to the dugout, and you see Tony hugging. I think Dave McKay, and Dave is is charting the last pitch before he, he closes the binder. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. That's fun, Still working. Um, so to, that 2001 season is awesome. You guys uh, get to the playoffs, then you, you duel with Randy Johnson. Tell me a little bit about Game Two of the NLDS. Uh, Game one was a, a classic Matt Morris versus Schilling duel. We see it again in Game five, but so you're you're tagged for Game two with Randy Johnson, and just tell me, I, I know you guys don't think about, I don't know, maybe you do. Hey, look who I'm pitching against because it's really about the lineup, but I mean, you you can't get a better matchup, I guess, than Cardinals, D-backs, Randy Johnson, and you guys win Albert Homers. Tell me about that game. That was, I'll, I remember that series a lot, except for a trivia question I'm going to ask you in a little bit, but tell me just a little bit about getting into the NLDS and, and pitching against Randy and, and winning that, that game. Well, it, anytime you put a uniform on or for as long as you
1: have, it's all about pitching You
0: know, in
1: the World Series, but before you get to World Series, it's about pitching in the playoff game. and Until that point in my career, I'd never had the opportunity to do so. And and I just remember being in postseason, you know, the smells were different. The sounds were different. And, you know, I know you see movies about it, but it's it's just, it's different. You know, egos are are thrown out the window. All the stats start from, from scratch. And it's all about winning. That's all that matters is winning. And, you know, I believe it was the first inning Albert hit, uh pitched down the right field line for a home run. You know, and here I am. I'm going out there on the road with the lead already, so I don't have to be perfect. You know, my job is just to keep getting the ball game. And that lineup they had was pretty darn good in Arizona. You know, I think that was the most pitches I ever threw in the game, to my knowledge, was, was that playoff game but. You, know, you just get so wrapped up in the next pitch or the next out that you don't realize really what's going on in the game until it's
0: over. It was fun, and it was a big win. And my trivia question that I was going to ask you because I was when I research this stuff, I always get I'm pretty good about remembering a lot of stuff. But you guys win 2001 NLDS Game Four, and this starting pitcher won that game. He actually started; he pitched five innings. Can you name the pitcher on your team?
1: You know what?
0: I don't think I can. I don't think anybody can. Bud Smith pitched a playoff game. I, I just couldn't believe when I saw that that he pitched game four of the NLDS, a game you guys have to win. Um, and so that that is interesting. He threw a no-hitter a month ago, so he was kind of rolling into the 2001 playoffs, but I don't remember Bud Smith pitching a playoff game and winning one, so I thought that was interesting. I, I didn't
1: remember that either. I actually uh, saw Bud Smith Last year, we spoke about the no-hitter in and, and, and the three game series we had in San Diego, but never, got, never thought that uh, he was the one that won
0: that game. What did he say about the no-hitter? I think it's amazing that he's the last Cardinal to throw one. It's always funny that you've got all these great pitchers, Chris Carpenter, Woody Williams, uh, Matt Moore, and it's Bud Smith and Jose Jimenez are the last two to throw. Him. What, what, is his, what were his thoughts? What were his thoughts on that as you talked to him just recently, I guess?
1: Well, Bud, you know, you know how he was just, he was so young at the time, and I don't think it really, he didn't realize what he did, you know, or the magnitude of of how infrequent that happens. But he's such a humble person, and we kind of just, you know, laughed about it, and like that, you know, that type of thing, and you know, Unfortunate with his career there's a lot of injuries and you know we were just starting to get into weight training and with all the strength coaches and different things. And it's unfortunate that his career was so short because, you know, to throw a no hitter you you gotta be more than lucky. And you know, maybe it's a safe film a play game. So it's unfortunate for him but you know, it was great great seeing him, but he was always the same
0: person. Didn't matter,
1: good or bad, you
0: could never tell with him. And you know, I made him who he was. That was such a it was such a cool night. I think it was Labor Day night, and uh, you, you just never know what to expect when you. Turn. I mean, I think it was his eighth start, and that was just that was what's so. cool. I think Jose Jimenez was the same thing. It was like his tenth start, and um, both I think one nothing games are very very close games. So it was, it's just so cool. Um, I'm gonna go chronologically. 0-2, another great year for the Cardinals, but man, Jack Buck dies a week later. Not even five days later. DK, what was it like being in, at Wrigley and just showing up to the ballpark and hearing the, the, the what you know the unthinkable that your your 33 year old ace, uh, one of the guys that you go to battle with, a good friend, is is just not gonna be with you for the rest of the year and forever. It was difficult, to
1: say the least
0: because it went from,
1: hey, DK's not here, you know, you over sleep, so we need to check on them, because there were certain guys that you knew would ride the bus, and they were going to be at the, ball- the ballpark at a certain time. But there was also a group that you knew that were going to be at the ballpark early. So, you know, I remember during batting practice, someone came up to me and said, hey, you know, Realize DK's not here. You know, have you seen him or heard from him? No. You know, so that kind of talk was going around. And then it went from that to, you know, doors locked and I'm answering his phone to, you know, hearing the, the, the final news, which put everybody in shock. It was somebody that was so full of life and seemed very healthy and never complained about anything and, you know, never had any, anything wrong with him that we knew of. So it was, it was terrible, you know, it, it, to lose a teammate and somebody so young. I mean, he was younger than I was. Yeah. And, you know, you just, there's so many things that you cannot explain. And, then you know, that's right after, like you said, that up passed away. And, you know, although there's pain and, and suffering with a lot of people's both of them. Well, Their the age is a little bit different, so it's a little bit more under, kind of easier to understand, but you know, you lost the voice of the Cardinals. And there'll never be somebody like him either.
0: What, so, I mean, we all hear about Tony just kind of rallying that team, and I, I don't know how you do it, and I don't know how you start, you know, God, a couple days later playing baseball and trying to win games, and but it just felt like there was momentum and the jersey hung in the in the dugout and you guys played incredible baseball um you pitched I think you got the first win at home and I know you got the first win at home and there was a shot of you in the in the in the dugout uh just tearing up and it just how how tell me I, we've always heard about how Tony rallied the troops I, I would like to hear kind of honestly how that worked I know we had a quote that he brought, and, uh, and just tell me, you know, how you guys rallied. First of all, you have to be a great team to, 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 to rally, and, and you had a great team. But just give me that, that July, August, September. Uh, I mean, you guys clinched with 15 days to go, so you, you guys literally just blew out everybody. What was it like, just that run, um, you know, playing for your teammate and, and rallying, and, and I, I would assume that when you guys get together, it's, it's a family right there. That's a
1: good way to put it. And I think that we were able to accomplish what we did because of the love we had for one another. You know, there's teams that are divided. There's teams that, that have cliques. There's teams that aren't that close. The one thing this, this team did is we loved each other. And, you know, we told stories, we loved, we cried together, but we also knew, uh, Daryl Kyle was a very, very, amazing teammate and the way he treated everyone you know i look back at the way i treated some people and and you know fall way short of of how he was as a teammate you know when, when after i'm done playing i look back and, and wish that i could change a few things well obviously you can't but he wouldn't have to look back and change those things because he, he treated everybody with respect he wanted everybody to be better He would give his two cents, he'd spend time. It didn't matter if you were the best of the best or the last guy on the list. He he had nothing but time and energy and his thoughts to share with you. So knowing that, knowing who he was as a person, as a man, it made it a little bit easier to, to to carry on the way he the way he did things.
0: I mentioned uh, I mentioned Tony, and Tony said even I think as as after he retired, man, that was the the worst year. Uh, obviously, for the, the, the DK stuff aside, but he really wanted that team to win. He thought that the way you guys came together. So I want to just curious just uh, if you have any good fun Tony LaRusso stories to kind of lighten up. I I've just I am fascinated by this guy every day. I just feel like he he uh, he has his way and. But I do, I do think he's a, a, a legendary managerial genius because I feel like the preparation and you know some of the moves he makes. He surrounds himself with great people. He's very smart that way. Do you did you have a good uh, relationship and, and any fun Tony Larusa story? Any I mean, did you see him tackle Steve Klein in the locker room? Any anything fun that you remember? Uh, I, had a, I,
1: I consider a very good relationship with
0: him, and
1: you know the one thing that you know I was coming from San Diego and Bruce Bocce. So I knew what it felt like to play for a, a quality manager. You know, one thing that I really, really appreciated about Tony is each and every day he came to that ballpark, one thing was on his mind and that was winning. He was he was working mentally and uh through his whole schedule of, of the way he did his thing to, to prepare. He was working already by the time I got to the ballpark on how he was going to outmanage or the moves he was going to make or how he proceeded things to play out. And you could see him in the first couple innings looking at the the lineup, looking at his paper, looking at the lineup. Sometimes he was two or three innings ahead of the, the other team. And when you're able to do that, you're able to control a lot of the outcome of the game. Now, Tony, in the dugout, you know, he before the game he was always nervous. Now he was pacing up and down the dugout, and as a cup was on the floor, he'd smash it with his foot and he'd drag it to one part of the dugout. And you know, so we watched him do that for quite a bit of time, and finally Jason has and you know he got a cup, turned his back, and went down to his corner, and Jason Izmirhaz grabbed a whole stack of cups and threw them all over the dugout. So he was, yeah, his work got done. But, you know, he was just. uh, you know, he didn't obviously didn't appreciate. He kind of just looked up at Izzy and put of set that down and did his thing. Kind of tell Izzy he's stepping out of the door. Sure That's my mojo. But you know, I when you walk into the into the locker room, I would always get there at two o'clock, and the lineup would already be posted, and I'd go up and look at the lineup, and I'd see him and say, "Hey, how you doing?" That you know, that's a stupid question. The <laughs> first one caught me off guard, I'm thinking, you know, why is it a stupid question and, like, and after, you know, next day I asked, you know, next I had can I say how are you doing? That's a stupid question. I said, Why is it a stupid question? He goes, Ask me that at ten o'clock. And not not how am I doing at two, how am I doing at ten? So if we win the ball game at ten o'clock I'm gonna be doing good. And then finally I had enough and I said, Hey, how are you doing? He goes, That's a stupid question. I said, why do I have to ask you a 10? I said, if you're a good manager, why don't I ask you at 9? Why don't you manage it quicker game? <laughs> so he, he
0: appreciated that one. I was around him pretty much this whole time he was here, and I could never think of a better question. I, I got so mad at myself because it just felt organic to ask him how he's doing and uh, uh, just ask me a 10. So I couldn't – I even thought of it like as I'd go up before the day and then I'd forget that I had thought to ask – you, you know, he walks by and he's got the the fungo, and I couldn't think of a better question than uh, everything okay. I, you know, just, there's nothing you can really say to him. He's he's a he's a nut in my opinion, and I I really did. I enjoyed being around him because I just felt like he is a baseball savant, and I just felt like I knew I knew that we were watching something special. And as much as he could get on your nerves with maybe lineup moves or just goofy goofy stuff that he'd do, you knew he had a reason for it, and uh, he wasn't going to tell you. But it was pretty cool. Um O three as we move chronologically. You have a few more minutes, right, Woody, I hope. Yes. Okay. O three. I know you had a great year, but I'm just gonna stop right now and just I know everyone thinks of two thousand three as the year of Esteban Yan. No, silence. (laughs) Well (laughs) not not the year. (laughs) You have a good Esteban Yan story? (laughs) I I don't. I
1: I, I don't at all. My memory, like I
0: said before I started, I there's a lot of things I remember and a lot of things I don't remember. Well, Esteban, yeah, I think we all refresh me. Well, O three Esteban Yan was one of uh, like 18 pitchers that had to be used in the bullpen because everybody got hurt that year. But um, you had a great year, 18 and nine, three eighty seven ERA, 220 innings pitch. But that year, um, so Esteban Yan was a big guy who sweat a lot. I think that was, they brought in Mike Dijon, they brought in Sterling Hitchcock, they just tried to do a lot of things, but um, that was the year that you guys were kind of running up against the Cubs, and it was one of the first times in a long time the Cardinals and Cubs had a rivalry, do you remember, though, there was a big five game series in September at Wrigley, and the Cubs took four or five, kind of kind of ended the, the season for you guys, do you remember just the, that year and playing around with the Cubs, and Sosa was still pretty good, and Dusty Baker and Tony were getting into it. Uh, not the best year. I, I do I do remember the series that you're talking about because I started
1: a game and then I believe uh, we had a, the last game we played or the second last game we played was a day game and I actually came in and, and got a loss in relief in, the, in that game. I don't remember the situation, but I just knew we were out of pitching and so, you know, I volunteered to, to pitch and instead of throwing a bullpen or whatever I was doing at the time. It was ugly. No, Yeah, I mean, we we had a good team, and it's unfortunate, and even more unfortunate that you lose to the Cubs. So it's, uh, well, like you said, it's just Gary Bennett taking over and hitting two walk-offs against the Cubs. I think it was against the, the Padres or the Brewers or somebody like that. You know, a lot of people don't even, wouldn't even realize it, but just the magnitude of the of the series and always playing against the Cubs is what it's all about.
0: I'm I'm just sad you don't remember Esteban Jan well enough to tell a story. <laughs> I d I don't have enough stories.
1: I know he was a great guy, that's all I know. And, you know, I remember I remember playing with him, but I don't remember anything out of the ordinary.
0: I just do him ending human being and being very tired. <laughs> very large and he, and he sweat yeah, no matter where he went he was sweaty alright let's move into 04 and then <laughs> we'll talk about I wish uh... sure
1: I did remember that
0: no it's just I think as being young we were all kind of younger at that point as, as fans and it was just every, every time he came in the game you're like oh this is not gonna go well Izzy got hurt that year Cal Eldred actually had like 8 for 8 saves uh, somewhere down so it was just a hodgepodge it was one of those weird years um but 04 I, what i think is great anytime i talk about 04 i think first it's my favorite it's my favorite team that didn't win and it's probably a top 5 top 3 team i just remember every time i'd get done working i was working at fox at this point and i'd drive home and i'd turn the tv on cuz i couldn't wait to see how badly you guys would be bludgeoning teams it was 7 to nothing in the third or it'd be 8 to 2 in the fourth and um, so a lot of people think about the offense on that team cuz it was the mv3 that was the year that Albert and Edmonds and Roland finished, I think, in the top five or top six uh, altogether in the MVP race. But if you look at the pitching, you guys get Carpenter back for the first year. He was signed in 03, but this is his first year. You bring in Jeff Supon, You bring in Jason Marquis. So you have three new starters, along with you and Matt Morris. And you guys all make 28-plus starts. Uh, Danny Heron made the other five. So there's only six starters the whole year. I think that's what makes a great team is you, you think about all this offense, but when you can throw the same five guys out there every night and know you have a chance uh, from the starting rotation, I don't think people kind of remember that. So uh, I was just going to bring that up. Uh, what are you, Thoughts on 04, how fun it was um, because it was your last season here. But it, I, like I said, it's, it's the most fun baseball I think I've, I've seen since the 1985. The 85 team with the, the running, this team had kind of the different power and pitching.
1: Yeah, that, that team was incredible. And then at the end, we had Larry Walker, you know, so it just gets absolutely insane. The lineup we ran out there, you know, as, as a coach now, I look back and I was always told coming up that, you know, whatever you are, whatever you're able to do, the consistency is so important because that allows the coaches to understand, to know what they're getting when you go out there to play. So the more you can be consistent on who you are and, and the amount of success you can have, they're able to play accordingly. So to reiterate your point of everyone having 28 starts or more, well, the manager knew that when Matt Morris went out there, what his kind of norm and his average was, and they played plan accordingly. When I went out there, or Chris Carpenter or Marquis or Supon, whatever. So it. it, it had to lighten the load a little bit for the pitching side and managing the, the pitching staff, but we had all stars everywhere, Gold Gloves everywhere. That was just a, a team that was put together that really is, is like no other. I mean, it, it was. You know, I know Boston was hot, and it, you know they, they did big things. When I look back,
0: that was probably the best team I a played on. Yeah, and I think I just remember I was at the game that Chris Carpenter got hurt. It was September, and he gets hurt against the Diamondbacks, and I thought, oh, he'll get back and he'll be fine. And he he never gets back, and I I just wonder, man, what would have happened if Carp was was on that that postseason squad because he went 15 and five that year. He was great. But I didn't realize this till I looked this up. I knew you pitched game one of the world series, but you pitched game one of the NLDS, the NLCS and the world series. I mean, that, that should tell you something about Woody Williams right there that, uh, that he, Tony wanted you to start these series because game one's usually fairly important in any series. What, what kind of honor was that like for you? And I think, mo- I think most people remember game one of that, of that uh, world series because, it was. It just felt like God. If you guys steal Game One, who knows what happens? And it didn't happen. What What was uh, the World Series Game One uh, like for you to be in Fenway Park? I think Steven Tyler did the the God Bless America the the anthem. Just give me everything about the uh, the Game One at World Series at Fenway.
1: Yeah, it it was an honor, and for my team and my manager to have that much um, faith in me to go out there and this was first games, it was first game was. It was really nice. It was a great honor. It's the first team in the World Series. And you know, I still would like to think that things could have been different and maybe turned out a little bit different if, if we'd have had maybe a little bit more time between clinching and going to the World Series and then staying so far out and it's kind of everything seems rushed. And I think we were prepared to play the Yankees or getting prepared. And then all of a sudden, the Red Sox beat them, and next thing you know, we're playing the Red Sox. And then pre down, pre- games and none. and you know, to come back like they did. No one, no one expected that. So I think that's a little bit of a red on Everybody's program, but uh, the was game one. Was was amazing. Stephen uh, Tyler, like you said, the national anthem it was really neat. <laughs> and when I went out there in the first inning, I remember Johnny Damon hitting a bat third curveball with his kind of his real kind of their dugout and flipping down the line for a double. And you know the, the first inning had started. And um, I believe they tried to try to burn him, burn him over to third base and ended up hitting Cabell, uh, I believe it was. And I think the only out I got quickly after that was a. Rocket to right field off of Badmany Ramirez. So I think that first and third one out maybe. And then I tried to throw a cutter on Big his hands and it went down and in and that would have left his leg. They were at 3-0. You know, as, 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 poor, as poorly as I pitched, we still had opportunities to win that game. You know, and not and Morris didn't have a great game in game too, but we're still capable and had opportunities to win that game as well. So, uh, you know, our offense and defense could overcome a lot, that just put them in too big of a hole.
0: How, How? and I don't know if this is if this was the case, but were you guys like a little worn out just from, like I said, 28-plus starts for everybody? And there was always that thought that Dan Heron may have been able to come in a little earlier in some of these games because he was fresh and he actually pitched pretty well. Or, hey, it's the Red Sox. I mean, were you guys a little uh, on fumes by the end of this, just pitching-wise, you and Matt and maybe even Soup? You know, I, I can't
1: honestly say that I was on fumes because, you know, looking back, I, I never questioned my health, my stamina. It just didn't happen. You know, strange things happened, and then when I made a mistake, they pounced on it. So, was it the best pitch game I ever did? Absolutely not. You know, I put my hat to them. They beat me. They beat us. But, you know, could we have done things a little bit different or made a little bit better pitches or got a timely hit? Absolutely. I, I just think it was bad time. You know, we had, a, we had a phenomenal team. And if, if people aren't uh, aware of that roster, they ought to go back and look and, you know, just position players alone or blow your mind.
0: Yeah, and you guys were outscored 15-3 to 3 in the last three games. So it wasn't like it was just all pitch. It just nothing was working. And it, it was so frustrating. Man, I love that team. Um 5 you're gone. So just uh, – I was going to wrap up with you a little bit. Just uh, if you have any stories uh, – I'm trying to think of anything that we may have missed. You guys you know, played Carlos Beltran. You go to Houston in 4 and, and kind of play them. But anything that I may have missed uh, – I feel like we're, it was way in the weeds, Woody. I, you have a funny personality, and I feel like you have a favorite uh, – uh, on the road story, that uh, practical joke, or something good that happened uh, from your years and years and years of toiling from from ninety three to nineteen ninety three to two thousand eight. That's a lot of time. I tricked him. Tricked him. <laughs> now, you
1: know, I, you know I, I look back and you, you asked about Tony Larusa stories and how he's perceived and everything else. In two thousand seven, I'm in Houston, and, and of course, Lance Berkman's there. We start talking, and you know, I dig at him that we won the division in 2001, which I know we tied with him and percentage point something, whatever. And I just no way you'll have that banner up. That you won the division in 2001. So we just start talking. I hate the Cardinals. That's always saying. And I said, you know what, Lance? I said, you say that. All you know is the Houston Astros all you know is what you've laughed you, about this organization, you came up with them, and you've been in the big leagues with them. So you have no you, no understanding of, of what's on the other side. I said, first and foremost, St. Louis is a great place to play. And if you play for Tony Larusa, you would love him. He just went on and on and on. I said, okay. So three months after he's Finally, over there in St. Louis, and doing well. I call him and say, or text him and say, "Hey, by the way, you know how is it?" Oh my gosh, you were right. And so you know, they hated to play against the Cardinals and hated to play against Colorado,
0: but they love to be a part of it. I remember when they signed him. I was so excited because I did think he had some some time left, and I I thought this is the guy that I can't stand. I mean, that guy just flipped that ball over to the left field stands, you know, a little 305-foot home runs, and I just hated him so much, but man, once he got on our team, I loved it, and I just, it just, the 2011 roster I was looking at, I was watching, I think, game five of the 2011 NLDS the other day, and like, the lineup is Rafael Farcal, and then Skip was batting second, then it's Albert, Berkman, Holiday, and then Freeze, who was on fire. And you just kinda of forget. When you're in the moment, you for you know, you obviously know that you've got some great talent. But when you when you start looking at the lineup today versus what they threw out in twenty eleven, it's like, man, and that team almost didn't make the playoffs. So I I loved Lance Berkman. I was glad he was a Cardinal. And I'm glad you were a Cardinal, Woody. Me too. I wish I would have been a Cardinal more, but or longer. But I'm very, very Please, I was able to be a part of it. We need to get you in town more often. I know you got a lot of stuff going down. Or get you, get you maybe have you come via satellite when you're in Houston. When the, well, I guess we don't even play there anymore because they're an American League team. This is all sad. But yeah, it's a bummer. Well, I know it's sad. I get to St. lots in some of them. I'm telling that. All right. Well, I will look for you. I'm so excited. We had a chance to talk with Woody Williams here on Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. An opening day right around the corner. Can't wait. It's fun to talk baseball with Woody Waves.